time it is it's the bronx bias podcast episode 93 b boys and girls listen up you can be anything in the world and god we trust the architect doctor baby and actress but nothing comes easy it takes much practice right i met a woman who's becoming a star she was very beautiful leaving people in awe singing songs lena horn but the younger version hung with the wrong person got a storm at her to episode number 93 of the Bronx Bias Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Denzel. I want to start by saying thank you to everyone who tunes in, who likes, who subscribes, who shares, and who supports. Thank you to everyone who is active and engaging with me on the social media platforms. I truly, truly, truly appreciate all the love and all the support I receive from y'all. Thank you to all the essential workers out there who have been battling this COVID, busting their ass to do so. We really appreciate the time, dedication, and effort you guys have put out. And finally, thank you to all the people out here who are continuously using their voices to affect change in a positive way. We always, 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 always have to start the shows with the thank yous. Because the thank yous are very, very, very important. Please do not forget, your boy Denzel has official Bronx Bias Podcast merchandise available for purchase. And the brand new Bronx Bias blog, the site where all of this is available, is BronxBiasPod.com. Come and check it out. I've got hoodies, I've got t-shirts, I've got tote bags, I've got masks, and I've got stickers with much, much more to come, along with the blog, which will serve as sort of an extension of the podcast. The blog will serve as a place where I can discuss certain topics that I couldn't cover on the show, or where I could cover topics that had to be edited out of the show for reasons like, you know, running up against the clock, or, you know, uh, other reasons, under other unforeseen reasons. So come and check it out, yo. I've got two pieces published on there right now, and I'll be trying to publish one new piece per month. Also, the Bronx Bias blog, this is very important, is an open platform. If you are a writer or artist of any kind and you would like to display or publish your work somewhere, the Bronx Bias blog could be the place for you. Whether it's an op-ed piece, a drawing or painting, music, or any other art, Just hit a brother up and we can possibly work to get your stuff out there. You do not, I repeat, do not 
have to be from the Bronx to have your work published on the blog. So feel free to reach out. And as I've said before, one million and one times, I am an independent potter from the BXMY. So all the support I can receive on the merchandise and the blog is super, super, super important and vital to the show. So all the love and support I can receive will be greatly, greatly appreciated. I encourage everyone to support in any way that they can. So once again, the site is bronxbiaspod.com for the podcast merchandise and for the blog. Come check it out. And with all of that being said, we are going to have a great, great, great show today. Fully, fully, fully packed. And I'm in an amazing mood. I'm in a tremendous mood and I am ready to go. So let's get it. I am in a very, very, very good mood. Today's intro was an amazing, amazing, amazing song by a top five rapper in the game. If he's not in your top five, your top five's wrong. If he's not in your top two, your top two is wrong. And it is called I Can by Nas off of the album God's Son. And I don't remember when this song came out. I know I was really young. I want to say I was maybe like nine or ten years old. But it was like the first time I'd ever heard like inspirational bars. You know what I mean? Like I'd never heard a rapper who wasn't making songs about like the streets or making songs like about partying or making songs about like how to get a lot of women. Like I'd never heard a rapper go on a song and be like, you could be whatever you wanted to be like, <laughs> you know, or like dropping facts about like the history of the world and stuff. Like I'd never heard that to that point. Now, I'm sure that there were a bunch of artists doing that or making records like that i just never heard it remember i was really young when i heard this for the first time and i ain't gonna lie like when i first heard it on the radio i thought it was whack like because i was used to hearing you know if it was like wu-tang clan you would hear in like raw gritty gritty stuff right or if it was like bad boy and diddy you would hear like party songs or if it was like you know 50 cent or somebody you would hear about that gangster stuff or it was the west coast snoop dog like you would hear about like gangster stuff I never heard a rapper like, you know, motivate me in a, in a rap. You know what I mean? So at first when I heard it, I thought it was super whack. And then like the older I got, I was like, nah, this is actually like really dope. Like to make a song like this and the bars are still good. The lyrics are still crisp. The metaphors are still there. The storytelling's still there. Like Nas is really that guy. Like he's really that guy. <laughs> and I had to put some respect on his name. I had to check my young self. I really had to put some respect on his name. So shout out to Nas. Great rapper. Top. If he's not in your top five or in your top two, your top five is wrong. It's wrong. If you're not giving the guy Nas from Queensbridge that type of respect, you got to reevaluate your hip hop opinions. And I'm standing on that straight up. I'm standing on that. So shout out to the God Nas. Great song. Great rapper and a great way to start the show today. Now it is time for my favorite, 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 favorite segment of the podcast. And it is called Bronx Facts. For those of you guys who do not know, or maybe it's your first time listening to the show. Bronx Facts is a segment I like to do at the beginning of each show. Just to give one fact about the Bronx, New York that people may not know, that people may have never heard before, just to try and show how many great things, how many great ideas, and how many great people come from the Bronx, New York. So 
Without any further ado, your Bronx fact for today is. Did you think Manhattan's Central Park was the largest park in New York City? Many people do. However, the Bronx's Pelham Bay Park is more than three times the size of Central Park. This picturesque park features shoreline, bridle paths, hiking trails, and golf courses. The park also features picnic areas and playgrounds, in addition to a track, tennis courts, bike paths, and playing fields for athletes. Overlooking this park is the Bartow Pell Mansion, a magnificent estate and national historic landmark that is open to the public. And that is your Bronx Fact for episode number 93. son where'd you find this all right all right we're getting right to it today we have a very 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 special guest it's only special guests that appear here on the bronx bias podcast today we have special guest steve searfoss who is an entrepreneur and the author of the kid venture book series which is a series of books where kids can learn about starting businesses and becoming entrepreneurs. Steve, thank you so much for taking some time out to talk to me today. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm excited to spend this time with you uh, and your audience. So uh, just excited to be here. All right. All right. Great. I'm happy to have you here as well. Um, so Steve, can you tell the people where are some of the places that you can be reached if they want to get in contact with you? see all the work you're doing out here, or even purchase any of your books? Sure. So my website is kidventurebook.com. That's the main place to go. Uh, The book, uh, the first book in the series is called 12 Weeks to Midnight Blue. That's available for purchase on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Uh, The second book in the series is coming out shortly. It's called There's No Plan Like No Plan. Uh, you can also find me on Goodreads and uh, on social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook. The handle is KidVentureBook on all four of those. All right. All right. So you got to make sure that people can find you after they hear this great interview and all the stuff you're doing. The last thing I want is my DMs flooded saying, where can I find Steve? So got to make sure we let the people know where you can be found. Awesome. All right. So, Steve, I want to jump right into it and I want to hear all about your journey, your story and how you became this great author of these children's novels. So my first question for you in that regard is what inspired you to start the Kid Venture series? So Kid Venture books came out of just conversations I would have with my kids. I I have four kids, uh, very curious kids. Um, I'm an entrepreneur. My dad was an entrepreneur. Um, So for me, it's totally normal to just be uh, immersed in kind of the world of entrepreneurs. And uh, again, my my kids would uh, be very curious and just ask questions of, you know, maybe we're in a restaurant and something is on sale and something isn't, or there's a promotion or, you know, just questions like that. And so I would 
launch into these answers where I would uh, say, well, pretend you're the owner of the restaurant, right? And so maybe uh, fewer customers are walking in the door. And so you need something, maybe uh, maybe you have a pizzeria and, and a block away, a new pizzeria opened up and it's pulling away customers. So you need to think of something. So you're going to put, uh, need to put, uh, have some sort of promotion, put something on sale. And so I like to ask them questions and get them involved. So if you were the owner of the restaurant, what would you do? What would you put on sale? Would you put your best-selling item on sale? Would you put something else on sale? To give, you know, just to kind of engage them. And over time, you know, they would enjoy these conversations and we, they would get more and more elaborate. And so then one day it just clicked, hey, I should write a book about this. Maybe other kids would be interested in this as well. Um, specifically, the first book is about uh, uh, a couple of kids, uh, a brother and sister who end up starting a uh, pool cleaning company in their neighborhood. Um, over the summer. Uh, and that started, we were literally um, on vacation uh, with my sister and her, her family, and we were in a pool, and uh, my son got kind of bored of just swimming, and there was uh, one of those leaf scoopers, you know, um, sitting around, he just started scooping, he just started cleaning the pool for fun. <laughs> and so we started talking about, well, what would it mean if you had a pool cleaning business? And off we go. That was the origin of, of the uh, the first book. Wow. So your kids really were the motivating piece to when you realized that your kids had a natural interest in how business is done. It really sparked your mind to say, hey, well, if my kids maybe have this idea or, or are interested in learning about this, maybe other children would be. Was that is that another motivating factor? Yeah, for sure. So then, uh, you know, as I was uh, writing the book and then I, I uh, sat down with them and read chapters out loud of the first draft and got their feedback and and input. And, um, you know, I think that the story is funnier and quirkier because of some of the things they said I should add to the story. Uh, then then they shared it with some of their friends and uh, they were interested. And uh, I, I think it's 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 a very normal thing for kids to be curious about business. And um, it's something, <clears throat> whether you become an entrepreneur or not, you know, knowing how to manage money and <clears throat> plan, plan ahead and negotiate, you know, advocate for yourself when, when you're negotiating with someone, um, how to think about risk, um, how to uh, go about decision-making in kind of a structured way and try to quantify the different options. Um, those are life skills. And that's interesting to, to, you know, everyone. Uh, and so, yeah, it was part of what I wanted to do with Kid Venture is make these concepts accessible to kids by telling a fun story that they actually want to read. And, and one of the things that I like about Kid Venture, one of the things I set out to do was to not talk down to them. You know, it's not oversimplified. And so, you know, there's during the course of the story, there's, uh, you know, you can use fancy words like price discovery, but there's the, the kids have to figure out, well, how do I price this service, you know? And guess what? They figure it out the way most entrepreneurs do through trial and error. All that to say, you know, it's, it's, it's working with these concepts, but hopefully in a fun, engaging way um, that, 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 that kids uh, um, will enjoy reading about. Right. And I think, I think that is very I think that's very necessary and very needed because we're in this fast changing world. You know, the kids understand technology, you know, better than me, better than you. You know, I've seen right. two year old kids work an iPhone, work an iPad like they were in the offices with Tim Cook and Steve Jobs creating these things. You know, right. so I think mm -hmm. that the approach to because the kids understand technology so well, so early, 
you know, pushing them into these fields of entrepreneurship and doing business for yourself and even just understanding business, I think can be very, very, very impactful. And I think it's very something that's very necessary. I'm surprised that, you know, I haven't met more people who are trying to do this for the children because they are indeed the future. Yeah. And that's that's another answer to the question of what inspired me is I, I looked around and there aren't uh, that many um, <clears throat> books out there. Uh, you know, there's books on uh, for kids on being a farmer or an airline pilot or mm-hmm. a fireman or yep. an astronaut. But uh, how, how many small business owners and entrepreneurs are there in America? There's a ton. And there's very few books about, you know, think of how many people do own the, the corner store or, or yeah, have, you know, just have a, 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 a small family business. And there's no books. There's hardly any books. I won't say no, but there's hardly any books about this, you know. So if nothing else, fellow entrepreneurs, you know, this can be a, a book you give your kids and be like, hey, this is my world, you know, if you want to learn more about it. I, I think it was a great idea. And I'm glad that it's been executed in this way, because I know that a lot of people will benefit from it. So Thank you. you're welcome. You're welcome. No problem. So, Steve, my next question for you is what do you want to convey or what do you want your overall message to be? with the books that you write for the children and with your overall career, what do you want people to take away from you um, as your, as your main theme or your prevalent theme when they interact with all your creations or all your novels? Yeah. So I would answer, I would, I would say there's three levels to kind of what I want uh, the readers, um, the kids who read uh, my books to take away. Um, so level one is what we've been talking about, which is just business con- concepts or uh, what we've been talking about, you know, how uh, price, you know, a price is more than just a price. It's a signal. It's a way of um, um, sort of moving the demands, demand and supply curve up and down the way the way you uh, need it to move. There's there's a lot there. So introduce these concepts. Um, these are, on the one hand, um, complicated concepts, but on the other hand, not. They're very uh, accessible and you just spend some time um, understanding them, particularly through examples, illustrations, and the stories. So that was one goal is to um, just teach. Uh, Again, I think that's another um, issue with a lot of schools. You will go and you'll take all sorts of classes and, you know, and then grad, and you haven't really I learned about business <laughs> right. or economics, you know. Um, I think in the old, old days, you had classes called home economics, where you learn how to balance a checkbook, how to shop for groceries, how to, you know, understand the price and then take it by the, what's the price per ounce or price per, per gram or, you know, and then compare. And, um, and so I think there's a gap there, a learning gap with kids. Um, so that's one goal is to, um, not just teach uh, kids about business and economics, but in it, but do it in a fun way that they're interested. And the second goal, kind of the second level up from that, is uh, for uh, entrepreneurs to be successful. So much, so much of that comes down to personal character, um, resilience, emotional intelligence, um, knowing how to fail, bounce back up, um, and so. Uh, your success as an entrepreneur, of course, you need to grasp the basics of, of economics and business. You need to understand customers and costs and, and so on. But your success and failure will be on how you you personally respond to setbacks and failure and, and um, openness to learning, you know, um, uh, 
in some cases, being able to control your emotions, you know, these are all important things. And so that's kind of the second level that I would want to teach kids. And, you know, we we're talking earlier about how there's not a whole lot of portrayal of entrepreneurs and businesses in media for kids, whether it's books or TV or movies. And when you do see uh, businesses portrayed, it's ultra simplistic, right? And so if there is a character who's an entrepreneur or, or, or a business person, um, their idea is instantly brilliant. Uh, people instantly, you know, start buying their product and yes. uh, they buy the nice office, you know, they get the nice office and then all the, all the, all the, um, uh, all the symbols of success, you know, that's a successful, man, that is not how it works in the real world. Right. Not at I mean, all. Everyone's, I mean, even the people who, who hit so-called home runs, if you really dig into their stories, there is a lot of pain and suffering <laughs> that has to happen first. And so, uh, part that's one of my goals in the books is uh, is to have a realistic portrayal of of what it's like to be an entrepreneur. And so in the story, the kids fail repeatedly. You know, I mentioned earlier about price discovery, and and they get excited because they get a couple of customers. So then they try increasing the price of their service, the pool cleaning service, and they lose customers, right? Um, that's how it is in the real world. It's not like you can open a book and says, well, how much should I charge for my service? Like the way you find out is the hard way. Uh, and so they, they learn lessons along the way of, you know, they bring in their first employee who's the best friend of the kid. And so they got to figure out how to balance friendship and, and business, you know, professionalism and so on. And so is really uh, uh, telling the kids, hey, if you want to be uh, successful, um, you got to learn how to be resilient. You got to learn how to fail. You got to learn how to learn from your failures. You got to learn how to be humble. Um, that annoying customer who disagrees with you is probably doing you a favor in some cases, pointing out flaws in your business model. You know, all that is really important. Um and then the third goal is there's there's a couple of moments in each book where uh, we we kind of go from beyond the first level of, of business, the second level of sort of the uh, emotional realm. Um, and the third is uh, is kind of the ethical moral realm, you know, and so there's there's some opportunities where, you know, business is not something it's just like, okay, well, here's who I am as a person. And then I go do business. No, it's fully integrated as a person, as an individual. Um, so I, I like to throw a couple um, ethical dilemmas in, into each book and, and the kids being entrepreneurs, you know, they, they are, there's, there's failure, but then their business is also growing. They are, they are learning from their mistakes. They are starting to acquire customers and make money and hire people and so on. Well, that brings with it responsibility that brings with it, uh, you know, the, uh, the main character is only 11 years old, but Hey, you have some power here. <laughs> you, know, you have some power just, yeah. just by virtue of having customers who are paying you and hiring people. And so then, um, uh, the really the third goal is, hey, more than just, um, you know, learning how to be a successful entrepreneur is then also throwing some questions out there for kids to wrestle with that you are a moral agent. And what are you going to do? And your business has an impact ethically one way or another. And it goes with the territory to have to think about these things. So those would be kind of the three, the three goals or three levels of, of engagement um, I'm, I'm hoping for uh, when kids read the book. Well, let me tell you something, Steve, in a moment of honesty. Where was this book? Well, let me ask you, where was this book when I was coming up in school? Because like you mentioned before, like 
The only time I would see business portrayed in like mainstream media or any media that I would consume, it would be the little kid with the lemonade stand, right? And right. then you blink their eyes three, they blink their eyes three times. All of a sudden they have a store, right? And then they're packaging their lemonade. Then they have the factory and it doesn't show you the process of right. building the business. Right. I didn't learn about business in school until college. I didn't learn about economics. I didn't learn about any of things related to business till I reached college. I didn't learn it even through high school. And like right. you mentioned also before, right. you had home economics and you had things like that. That was never available to me in any of the levels of schooling. So yeah. I do think that it is something that kids need to see in in a real world sense, right? Like you said before, I don't want to talk down to them. I want to you know, t- tell them things and make them understand it or help them lead themselves to discovery. And I think that's something that especially drawn from my experience, like I didn't have that at all. I didn't learn about things like supply and demand until college. And yeah. so I think starting them out earlier, which is a great goal that you have, is something that is going to be very, very, very beneficial to the overall economy of the world and to themselves in terms of what they decide to do with their lives or even just giving them that information so that they can make even better decisions Maybe they don't go into business, but they make better decisions in terms of finances going on in the future. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, you know, and it's it's not just kids who don't know this stuff. Right. A lot of adults, too. Um, again, unfortunately, there's a big sort of um, knowledge gap there. Um, and I see it uh, in my professional life. I, I see come across quite a few business plans and I see business plans and most of them are wildly unrealistic. Mm-hmm. And you just flip to, you know, the last page in the plan where it's got the graph with a projected, you know, income or revenue. And it's always a smooth line and it always goes, you know, straight up <laughs> to the right. And I, that has never happened in real life. Right. And uh, when, when you look at the plan, it's uh, I don't I don't I don't care about your income projections because that's just, you know, the little Excel trick of multiply by this. Yeah. It's what, what have you thought about what all the things that could go wrong and what what are your what's your plan B for this, for that, for the other? Um, what are you know, and 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 so on. And um, just to plug a little bit, that's that's one of the themes in the second book. Uh, there's no plan like no plan, is you take the same kids. And so they did have a successful summer at the end when all was said and done um, uh, and they made some money. And so then winter comes along in book two and they're like, okay, well now we're going to shovel snow um, the people's driveways and have a little business doing that. And, And the whole beginning of the book is, well, we're successful business people. I mean, we had one successful business, you know, these are just kids, but like, so we know what we're doing. Right. And then comes winter and 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 they really start failing in big ways because snow is not predictable you can't schedule snowstorms and how many people do you need to have on your on your crew work crew ready to go uh, based on how much it's going to snow and there, there's some funny scenes in that book where they get all the friends who were the, the the cleaning pools and they're all ready to shovel snow and it doesn't snow or it just snows a little bit you know and meanwhile he's got to pay 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 these guys who are all you know there with shovels ready to go and and so um uh, you take i take those characters from book one that i love and i absolutely humble them in book two <laughs> and that and that's why the title of the book is there's no plan like no plan 
because they come at the beginning of the book, they come up with a business plan based on what they learned from the last business. And about a third of the way into the book, they realize that has no relationship to reality. And they you know, throw away that plan and, and figure out fast because um, they're, they're burning all the money they made in the business and running out of money. So yeah, that's uh, the experience is the best teacher for sure. Yes. Yes, it is. That is the that is the phrase of the day, Steve, because, you know, I started this podcast two years ago and in the beginning I was just like the kids. Oh, man, it's going to be so great. People are going to love listening to me and all these things. I just had, you know, such a opt sort of silly optimism toward it, like an unrealistic view of what it takes to make something last for a long time. And I like that even in the book, like kids can learn so many things from these lessons that these kids are going through in the story, but also adults, because yeah. I'm certain an adult who, who maybe let's say an 18 year old child or 18 year old person, 19 year old, even 20, 21, 22, who wants to get into business, but doesn't know where to start. You can read something as simple as a children's book, quote unquote, and learn so much from it. And so I think that that's what I said. Like, I wish at 16, I could have read something like this or if 15, 14, right. I could have read right. things like this. So I could at least have sort of a, of an idea of what it's like, because you really don't know. I watch, you know, television, you watch a movie, you watch anything. And they always make it seem like all you have to have is the great idea. All you have to have is the drive or the determination. And those are very important but also do not really factor in into the large scheme of what it takes to run a successful business. Right, right, right. So good, piggybacking off of that question, um, how can parents do more to teach their children about finances, business, and entrepreneurship? Obviously, as my experience will tell you, they're not really doing that much in the schools. So in your opinion, how can parents do more to sort of foster that environment where they are teaching their children about these things so that the way they don't get to college at 18 and they don't have any idea what's going on. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of asking questions of really in, engaging your kids um, um, with questions. And you don't have to be an entrepreneur uh, or, or a quote unquote business person to teach them about business. You know, going back to the home economics uh, example, uh, you know, take them, take them with you the next time you go grocery shopping. And I, I do this with my kids sometimes just, you know, frankly, cause it's fun, but you know, we'll walk down an aisle, um, whatever it is, you know, let's say cereal. Cause of course all kids love cereal, cereal. Yeah. But, but say, Hey, look, how many different cereal brands do you see? Um, what's, 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 which one stands out to you? Why, um, you can talk about branding that way. Uh, you can talk about, um, the, the graphic design of the box, you know, what, what messages are they showing him here? I literally the other day, just for fun, uh, with my kids, we had one of those, um, uh, inserts that are in the newspaper with all the grocery store, you know, uh, uh, can of corn is this much, a pound of beef is this one, you know, um, and just said, hey, how did, there's a ton of information here. How did they, what decisions did they make in organizing this information? What is your eye drawn to? What what are they calling out and why? And from there, we talked about the concept of lost leaders. You know, everyone knows the price of milk uh, because everyone buys milk. Everyone runs out of milk and has to make that milk run, you know. And so um, we talked about some stores will 
intentionally underprice the milk and actually lose money on the milk. But then that gets you in the store and you buy 30 other groceries, which you don't really know the price of. Like, what is the price? I don't know. Is this a good price? I don't know, man, but I'm saving 50 cents on milk. So then you buy a bunch of other stuff. So anyway, that's just one example. I think just engage them constantly. I mean, business is all around us, right? Every, every, everything we do, uh, not everything, but we're constantly interacting. We're buying things. Um, um, paying for things, paying uh, the mortgage or paying rent or paying the utility bill or, you know, and take out a utility bill. What was our, what was our um, utility cost this month versus a year ago? And, you know, just, 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 just stuff like that. Um, that I have that hopefully in the book, um, in the, in, in these books, every chapter ends with three or four questions. Uh, that just engage the kids, right? So um, as as the characters in the book are are um, reaching interesting um, decisions to make, um, you know, the kind of the chapter ends and then turn, you know, flip it over to the reader. Well, what would you do in this case? You know, uh, the example of the kid hires the the main character hires his best friend as his first employee uh, to clean pools. And he he assigns them, you know, okay, you got to be with this client at this time, you know, tomorrow to go clean a pool. And he's late to show up. And so then he he confronts his friend, and the friend's kind of like, well, what's the big deal? I should, you know. And so before you get to the next chapter, it's the pause. Let's ask kid. Well, what do you? Th- what would you do in this case, right? Um, and so. I think it's just, you know, the world is a really interesting place and just engage, engage them uh, with this, uh, engage them in, in, in these conversations and, and these questions. Wow. That's well, let me ask you this. All right. So let's say a parent out there. Want, here's everything that you says. Here's everything that you say today with me and says, OK, I want to I want to start that because my my little ones, I think this is something that they can really benefit from. What would you say is the best way to introduce this subject of entrepreneurship or just understanding business to a child who has never heard of it before, like at all? So how would you suggest um, that a parent approaches their child and wants to start having these beautiful conversations about these things, but doesn't know where to start? What would you say are great starting points to introduce it? Well, obviously, you'll have to excuse me, but you know, reading my book would be a great study. <laughs> you know, um, which is the idea is it's a fun story, it's engaging, um, it's hopefully a page turner, um, and uh, there, there's some there's some good jokes in it. You know, kid kid level jokes that they'll laugh at, um, but it's serious stuff too. You know, so. Um, uh, again, you'll have to excuse me, but that, that's literally why I wrote the book is to have this kind of entry point, right. In, into these, these, these conversations. So, um, you know, beyond that, again, there's entrepreneurs and small business owners everywhere, um, walking to your corner store or, you know, uh, uh, just engage them in conversation. I mean, most people like to talk and like to talk about what with themselves and what they do and so on. And, um, you know, one of the things we've lost over the years is this culture of apprenticeship, you know, where um, in the old days, how did you learn a trade? It was, wasn't so much from books. It was, you know, you wanted to, I don't know, be a, a cobbler who repairs shoes. Well, go hang out with a cobbler in the shop and repair, you know, fix some, fix some shoes, um, whatever example that is. So, uh, you know, I think that would be one way again, is the world is an interesting place, engage in conversations, go to the corner store. And, um, uh, one of the things by asking questions is 
just kind of train your kids to be observant and think and say, okay, we're walking in the store. What's different? You know, maybe, maybe there's a new shelf display you know, featuring a new product or something. And I just start chit chatting with the owner and hey, well, how's, how's, how's that product working out? Is, is it selling and moving? No, it isn't selling. I thought it will, or yeah, hey, it's selling great, you know? And so that just gets the wheels turning. So that would be one way. Um, as kids get older, um, uh, I would, on the one hand, I would hesitate to say that have the kids, you know, um, buy some stocks, uh, because too often that just becomes a form of gambling almost, you know, by this, try to make, you know, try, but if you teach them, uh, like my son the other day was asking about, uh, for, he went through a brief period where he was kind of obsessed with pickup trucks. Um, where he would point at a, a truck on the road and say, that's a so-and-so, you know, that's an F-250. I have no idea what he's talking about. They're, that's just a pickup truck to me. But he was really interested and then heard that Ford was coming out with an uh, electric uh, pickup truck. And so then it was a question, like the kind of customer who buys a pickup truck, uh, who is that customer? Um, a lot of times a small business owner, you know, maybe in, in construction or, you know, those, those types of um, industries. Would they want to buy an electric pickup truck? Uh, and I don't know, right? But so we he asked that question. So then we just pulled up. We don't own any stock in Ford Motor Company. But the, the reason to get kids involved in stock trading is because of the annual reports you can read and the investor analysis and so on. And that's just that, you know, you'll learn a ton from reading that. And so you can read the investor analysis, their predictions, will Ford sell electric trucks? Here's the reasons why. Here's the reasons why they won't. Here's here's the volume they're projecting. It's, here's the competitors. Here's how they're pricing it. And then you can a quarter, you know, three months later or six months later or a year later, hear directly from Ford Motor Company that this is how many we sold and, you know, and this has met our expectations or didn't meet our expectations. So, um, I think the pickup truck example is a good one because it started with his natural curiosity about pickup trucks instead of like, son, sit down, you're going to learn about stocks. You know, it's like he's asking questions about pickup trucks. Well, let's go research it. Let's go find out. And um, so, again, I think a kid's natural curiosity is such an amazing resource, you know, and so just keep feeding that um, with with uh, by asking them questions, but also when they come and ask me questions. Um, you know, there's times I'm tired. I don't really want to ask questions about pickup trucks or answer questions about pickup trucks and stuff, but just you know, kind of put in the extra effort to take their questions seriously and answer them. I think that I, I'm going to write down some of the things that you're saying when I listen back, because this is going to be great when I start my children out. First, we're going to get the book, of course, and then we're going to start like actually analyzing things on that level. It's easy to talk to kids on, okay, well, you like pickup trucks. Well, what's your favorite color? Blue. You go buy them a blue toy pickup truck because that's, you just see that's what they like, but there is more to that as I'm learning from listening to you. So I, I do think that this is a lot of great information. And uh, I yeah. think that not only children, but adults can learn from this. Yeah. And, and one of the things as, as far as kind of introducing them more, getting them more enmeshed in business thinking and entrepreneurship and so on, is really working numbers into the conversation, right? Um, so uh, question, will Ford Motor Company be successful selling electric pickup trucks? 
you know, you can answer that as yes or no, or I think so, or this, or you can start to answer it. Well, okay. How many pickup trucks did they sell last year? And let's get an actual number on that and say, okay, well, if they're going to introduce a new product, presumably it's to sell more, not less. Right. So what would a projected growth rate be? And start with easy numbers. Are they trying to sell 10% more, 20% more, you know, and then start throwing some numbers out there and say, okay, well, then how much does a pickup truck sell for? What would, would the electric uh, version sell for more or less? How much more? How much? And so just throwing some, num- getting some numbers in the conversation, even if they're completely made up, right? Um, I don't have a pickup truck. I don't know the, the answer to these questions, but we can say, well, let's assume, you know, let's just assume a pickup truck sells for this much. And let's assume that an electric version is going to sell for more. Okay. How much more? Okay. Well then why would you buy it? Is it going to save you money on gas? Well, let's just throw some numbers out there. How many times do you got a gas, you know, fill it, fill your truck with gas. Let's say it's twice a week. Okay. How much does it cost? Cost this much. So then how much would it, and, and these can be completely made up numbers, like hopefully somewhat reasonable, but just get kids thinking in terms of numbers is huge. Yeah. I'm listening to you, Steve. I feel, I feel like, you know, you're the best economics teacher I've ever had. I want to get out my notepad and just, you know, study for the quiz because this is a lot of good information. And I think that this, you're really filling a need that people are, you know, just lacking of naturally because it wasn't taught to them. So I, I'm, lear- I'm learning myself from, from this and I appreciate that. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yes. So Steve, in your business journey, in your entrepreneurial journey, what were some of the shortcomings or obstacles that you had to try and overcome when you first got into it? What were some of the things that you really had to learn? And what were some of the mistakes you made in that process of learning? So, uh, you know, over the year, I've been at this for a while. Over the years, I've, I've had uh, several different companies and various levels of success and even more various levels of failure <laughs> and so on, you know. So, uh, you know, what are some, some things to learn? Um, uh, at, at the highest level, it's kind of what we've been talking about, which is how to be resilient, how to, um, uh, I, I guess when it comes to quote unquote failure is how to listen to that, right? And so almost always when you're an entrepreneur, you have an idea, um, even like you were saying with your podcast is you, you have this idea and you get excited because you imagine, okay, wow, well, it's going to be great. This many people are going to listen or buy or read or uh, and, and then almost always that doesn't match reality. And so um, then getting comfortable with instead of uh, taking signals of failure. So what's a signal of failure? Well, people aren't buying your product or only a tiny percent of the people you thought would are buying the product or you're having to offer deep discounts to sell your product. You know, these are signal failure signals. That instead, this comes to the emotional intelligence aspect. Instead of listening to those signals as kind of fingers pointing at you and saying, "Well, you have failed," is hey, uh, I, I it's trying to tell me something. I need to learn, right? Okay, so maybe that's not the product people want to buy, or maybe that's not the price people want to pay for this. Um, and so, just um, you know, being being kind of quick quick on your feet on that. Um, I mean, if I, I'm trying to pulling one example from memory, but years ago, I, uh, uh, I, my dad and I started a small software company um, that helped retailers manage inventory, um, and uh, we were selling it 
originally um, in uh, throughout Latin America, not in the U.S. And then uh, I was going to, I came to the U.S. to start to open, quote unquote, open the U.S. market and sell it in the U.S. And the way you sell software in Latin America is very different than how you sell it in the U.S., you know. And in, in Latin America, you uh, talk to some big companies and they want to meet in person. You know, that personal aspect is very important. And you sit down with them and there's a lot of people in the room and you give your presentation. And, and Latin American culture, it's the relationship is just as important as the product. So they're kind of feeling you out as a person. Can I trust this guy? And so on. And that And that's how you sell. Um, and and by the time you get an appointment with someone, you have a fairly high probability of of closing the deal. Um, enough that it was worth hopping on a plane, flying out there, and said, "Okay, let's set up a meeting and go." Well, that model completely did not work in the U.S. <laughs> in the U.S., it's I want to download the demo, I want to see for myself, I want to. Um, but I only learned that after flying around a few places, spending all this money, not closing any deals, realizing by the time I was meeting with people, they'd already downloaded competitor software um, and we were behind the curve. And, you know, so it was painful. These things are always painful. We lost money. Okay, we need to switch gears. The strategy needs to be first, you know, I, I coined this phrase first on desktop uh, back in the day was before mobile phones and all that. Um, and so we need to have a demo version that from the minute people are considering software in this space, super easy to download a demo and, and launch it. And so they can be playing with themselves. Forget about this crazy idea of flying to meet them and <laughs> in person and they get it, they get to feel you out. None of that. Let's da- have a downloadable version that they can test drive it and go from there completely different business model um, that, again, was only through some pain that that they're able to adapt um, and, and do that. So uh, to, to take it away from a specific example, the, the big thing is that adaptability. Um, you got to have some thick skin when, when the failures start coming in, um, uh, being able to set aside your immediate you know, emotional reaction. Oh man, this isn't, this isn't working. I feel mad or I feel sad or I feel, you know, I need someone to blame or, you know, so, and instead be like, okay, how do we need to adapt? Um, one of the things I learned along the way is uh, whenever you launch a business or a product or, or something, um, the worst thing that can happen is not that you fail and it's not that you succeed, is that you get ambiguous feedback. Like you succeed just enough that you keep at it. Whereas, I mean, if pure failure is kind of awesome because it's like, okay, never mind, let's move on with our lives. That was not a good idea. But when it's like, well, some people kind of like the idea, kind of said they might buy in the future. One guy buy, man, that's torture because you're like, I can't tell. Is this a good idea or not? And you, you know, okay, there goes another five years of my life trying to make this work. (laughs) So when you, what would you say to someone who is in that moment right now of of failing, right? Let's say they wanted to start their own uh, action figure company. They want to sell all types of action figures, but right now they're in that moment where it is an abject failure. What would you say to them to sort of maybe help, help them keep at it or just something that you have learned to help them stay focused in creating? 
Yeah, and that is a really hard question because it's um, on the one hand we can talk about general principles of be resilient. So on the other hand, specifics matter, right? Right. Um, so, for example, action figures. I don't know anything about the action figure industry and market and so on. Um, and so they're having some specifics, like how many, how crowded is that space? How many competitors are there? Um, what is your average cost to create an action figure? And what is the average cost of one of your competitors? You know, and if your significant, your cost is significantly higher, if, if you know, you, you can kind of look at some of these fundamentals and, and there are some good business books to read on this. Um, one of them would be the books that uh, Michael Porter wrote on competitive strategy and um, what, what your goal as a, as a businessman or an entrepreneur is, you need to define your market in such a way that you can win, right? And so, um, you know, action figures is a broad market. So uh, you start with action figures and say, okay, well, action figures, how many competitors are there? What's my cost profile versus my competitors? What are the distribution channels? How are people buying action figures? You know, is it directly online? Is it through retailers? Um, do my competitors have a chokehold on these distribution networks? Or, and so you might look at some of these in the old days, I think they called them the four C's, you know, cost channels, competitors. I can't remember right now what the fourth C was, but, um, you know, you look at these and, and, and there, there is, there are some objective facts that this industry is, man, it's going to be tough to win in this one. This one over here is looking a lot better. There's not as many competitors, um, I'm not at a cost disadvantage. Um, they don't have a chokehold on distribution channels, you know, so that there's, there is a definitely an element of that, of just kind of the sober analysis. Um, and then what you want to do is then define yourself in such a way, your market in such a way that you can be number one or number two. And that's usually doable in any market, right? Um, so back to my old days in software, okay, we have inventory control software. Well, that's super broad. You know, we're like number 547 on that list. But it, can we start to get more specific? Okay, inventory control software for shoe stores. Um, that, and then get even more specific inventory co uh, control software for shoe stores for Mac users, right? And so you start to really define your market where now I'm not competitor number 547. I'm one of the top three. It might be a very small pond, um, but you, you need to start there, right? So action figures, you know, I, I don't know, but how can you define the action figure market in, in a way that you can dominate it? You know, is it... Um, Whatever type of action figure it is, uh, you know, how can you, again, define it so that you're the number, if, if you're looking for this specific action figure, uh, you're the number one guy to go to, or the one of the two top, top guys to go to. Um, so back to your question, I would first of all, start with, you do need that kind of sober objective analysis um, because the, I guess one of the lessons of failing is uh learn how to separate and not take it personally and say okay well that idea failed that that specific business model failed but i myself i'm going to be resilient um and um i myself haven't failed because that is just one step in in the journey right um and so you know this is actually and i've had to go through this a couple of times in life 
uh, actually, that's actually the hardest thing for an entrepreneur is knowing when to let go and when to um, declare defeat, <laughs> not victory. Right. And um, there's only so many years in life. Right. And like, and, and it's the fallacy of some cost. And man, I have poured so much energy and time and money into this and so on. And, um, you know, if I just stick with it a little longer and then another year goes by, if I just stick with it a little longer, and, and some of it, uh, it's the hardest decision to make. But since, hey, maybe it's time to cut your losses and, um, and, and take everything you learn from this, that same fighting spirit you have, that same dynamism, that same drive to succeed and find a different market, you know, to, to, to pour that into. Mm, very. Steve, let me ask you, have you ever taught any courses on economics and or finance? <laughs> no, I haven't. But well, listen, man. But, but hey, once again, teaching me. Read my book. No. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this is great information, man. I this is great. I you know I'm gonna change something in my business model now. I'm gonna seek out people who are in fields that I have no understanding of, so I can learn something each interview that I do. That's what I'm gonna take from this. I yeah, need to no, be that's... learning more on my own platform. That's that's good stuff, and that's uh, you do need one of the ingredients to success is you need someone in your circle, not necessarily the inner circle, but someone you can talk to, who is a truth teller, right? Mm -hmm. And and a lot of times, friends and family are not the truth tellers because they they love you too much or they yeah. are, they want to hurt your feelings or, yeah. or whatever, you know. Um, the the boxing analogy is the cut man, right? Yeah. Who's going to speak truth to you <laughs> right in the middle yeah. of the boxing match, and uh, and and so yeah, the, for that objective piece, right? That that the friends and family can talk to you about your fighting spirit and your resilience and so on, but yeah, you need someone who says, "Look, I ran the numbers; it's not good." <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Well, that is is great advice, and I and I appreciate it. I've learned so much in this short time that we have talked together. My next question for you, though, Steve, is what advice would you give to a young person who wanted to start their own business, their own creation or their own movement? What is a great step one for that young, impression impressionable mind who wants to get into business? For me, when people reach out to me and, and ask me about podcasts, I would just ask them, is this something that you really want to do? And I, and I ask that because you know, a lot of times, you know, we just came, we're still in the COVID pandemic, but we're still going through a lot of people were at home and they wanted to do something to be active with their time. And so they say, okay, well, I'll start a podcast, but are you doing that because you see it as a good way to waste your time? You see it as a good hobby or are you really serious about it? Are you willing to put out a podcast every week or every two weeks or even once a month and nobody listens to it? So you got to ask yourself, or that's, this is what I tell people, is this something that you're really passionate about, or is this just you have FOMO, the fear of missing out, or you just want to ride a wave? So in your experience, what would you say is a great step one for these young, impressionable people out here who want to get into business? I, I think that is actually excellent advice, what, what you just said, and that is often advice that I give. Um, is it, It's kind of like happiness. If you chase happiness you're more than likely going to be unhappy, right? Happiness is a byproduct of doing something meaningful, of meaningful relationships, of, of, of you know, meaningful work, of 
um, helping people or pursuing a passion or something. But if you just set out, well, I'm going to go be happy today. Uh, that's almost a, a guaranteed formula for not being happy. Right. So the analogy uh, is if you want to do something just because it's going to quote unquote, make you a lot of money, that's not enough of a motivation to stick with something. Right. Um, and so I, I hundred percent agree. It has to come out of some sort of passion or love um, uh, some sort of passion or love, or, you know, the whole build a better mousetrap is you are convinced that you have a product or a service and offering that really solves a problem. Um, and, and if you solve a problem, you're usually making people's lives better. You know, if that's motivating you or it's motivating you that just, uh, you know, I just like podcasting. I just love doing this. You know, they, even if they didn't pay me, as they say, right, I, I would do this. That it's those, those are the, the, the wellsprings that will feed you in the tough times and, and keep you going. Right. And so, um, you know, in another context, I, uh, uh, help people or people come to me and, um, you know, they want to build uh, successful websites and e-commerce business and so on. And um, uh, almost half of the time it's, they think they can make a quick buck and they haven't, you know, there's this gold rush right now, put stuff out online and so, and, and that's, what's motivating them. Those are the people that quit after a few months um, when, when that doesn't work. Uh, and so, Another way to ask the question of, are you passionate about this, is if you're selling a product or a service, would you yourself buy this product? Would you yourself pay for this service? Would you yourself read this book? Would you yourself listen to this podcast? And it, it is amazing how many times people don't actually ask themselves that question and go through that. Uh, and in their mind, there's just, there's some sucker out there who's going to pay for this. It's not me, right? But someone is like, no, if this isn't something you find valuable, if this isn't something you would pay for, if this isn't something that, that solves something for you or satisfies some specific real need for you, why would it for anyone else? You know? So, um, you know, as far as advice that I, I think we've covered some of the other ones of surround yourself with good people, have a truth teller in your circle. Um, don't be afraid to fail, um, but also learn how to fail, how to fail, the, the as they say in tech, you know, fail fast so you can move on to the next concept. Um, uh, and then, you know, you hit the nail on the head is, is make sure that what's driving you is, is, is passion. Um, and that is actually a scene in uh, book two with, uh, with Kid Venture, um, where, uh, again, the main character, Chance, has this conversation with his dad when, when he's failing, when the snow shoveling business is not going well, he's burning through money and so on. And, and there's a point in the book where he's sticking with it just to stick with it. And more than that, too, he doesn't want to, people to know he was wrong, right? It's just pride and arrogance and he wants to stick yeah. with it. And he's having this conversation with his dad and, and, and uh, it's kind of like, why do you want to do this? And it's to make money. And so on. And it's like, no, that's not, that's not enough of that. That motivation does not get you through the, through, through the lean years, through the tough times. Um, and in the end, in the book, there's kind of a sweet conversation with the dad where it's like, well, he, the, the son sees the dad as this, you know, successful businessman and the, and the kid kind of wants to be that. And the dad tells him like, Hey, what motivates me is I'm taking care of my family, you know? And, and, and in the book, 
there's a hint, uh, it's, it's never defined, but but the dad is kind of working on a big concept and has an investment and it's never specified what it is and so on. But the dad says, you know, and 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 helping people, you know, making people's lives better with with this this mysterious, you know, concept that he's working on. But it's like that's what motivates him, right? Is when I have the tough days, it's not like I'm gonna make all this money, is um, I'm working hard, number one, because it takes care of my family, and number two. Because I believe in my product, my service, and it's actually going to make a difference, you know. Um, otherwise, the first time you are, you, you look at your bank account, you're burning through money, it's not working. Um, you're going to give up if your motivation is money. So kind of like happiness, the way you make money is not by intentionally setting out to make money. It's that's that's a byproduct. Mm. Very, very, very good stuff, man. I'm, I'm going to start calling you Professor Steve. Because we're learning a lot today and I appreciate it. Oh, my next question for you, Steve, is who are some influences that have been impactful to you throughout your journey? You know, for me, I'm always inspired by people who I deem to be masters of language in any field, whether it's a stand up comedian, uh, a poet, an author, a radio host, a television interviewer, just anyone who I see as a real master of language, because that's what I'm striving to become with this podcast and with anything else that I do, whether it's writing or anything else that I seem to be interested in. So I always get inspired by that. You know, when Oprah is on TV and she's interviewing, you know, Prince Harry or something, I'm like, wow, okay, how did, why did she ask this question in this way to get this sort of answer out of him? You know, things like that. So in your journey, how, have there been any people influential to you that way? And if yes, who would who would they be? Uh, well, along the way, uh, I mean, it the first person would be my dad, who, who is an entrepreneur, um, and I've watched him be very resilient um, and go through those cycles of failure and reinvention and and um, um, you know resilience, um, and then uh, you know certainly. Um, business books I've read along the way. I've mentioned one of them, Michael Porter's. Uh, he has a series of books on competitive strategy that are very good. Um, I would say as far as Kid Venture and what Kid Venture is trying to do, um, there'd be two influences. Um, and, and, and these were probably subconscious ones. These are more after the fact. I was like, oh yeah, I'm kind of trying to do what, what they were doing, right? Um, so one of them is there is a book called The Goal. That I highly recommend. Uh, it's by a Israeli guy. Um, I think his name Eliyahu Goldblatt. Not sure about that, but anyway, it's a business book. Um, it's the best business book you'll ever read <laughs> because it's written like a novel, right? And so there's so many business books that I think have about five pages of interesting ideas, but they're required to write 200 pages. And it's just you know, how many times can we beat the same dead horse? And here's another example of this, you know. Um, and the goal is written, it's a novel, um, but you learn real business concepts. Uh, and so in, in, in the book, the goal, there's a factory and they're losing money. And the, the main character is the owner of the factory. And he's just inve invested in fancy machinery that's supposed to make his, and I don't even remember what the factory makes or sells, um, but this fancy machinery that's supposed to make him make the factory more efficient, more productive. And even so, they're still losing money. And so what makes it a really engaging book is 
that puts pressure on his marriage. <laughs> there's, there's real tension in the marriage. They're headed for divorce. Um, he's having trouble being present with his kids. He's worried about all these employees in his factory who you meet as characters are going to he's, you know, lose their jobs. You know, so there's real stakes here, real people, which makes it in, you know, instantly compelling. Um, and then the, uh, as, as he's thinking through the problem, um, I don't know how much I want to spoil, um, um, you know, spoil the plot, but he's out hiking with his son. I think they're in Boy Scouts or something, but anyway, there's these kids hiking and they're kind of in a line as they're hiking. And he notices the slowest kid, depending where you place him in the line, has an impact on the speed of the whole line. And the way that the, the line of hikers expands and contracts to fill that space. And he has this aha moment where he suddenly understands the problem he's having in his factory, right? And I, I went through a time where I read a ton of business books. Uh, I was working as a business consultant. So you wanted to look smart and read books and you know be able to sound like you knew what you were saying. And years later, Years later, I was in a um, in a meeting with a, a guy who owned a factory, and I just kind of blurred out this concept. Right? Like, where did that? I was like, oh man, that's that's something I read 15, 20 years ago in that novel that stuck with me in in a way that nothing else has stuck with me because it was so vividly portrayed with real people in the book. So that would be one influence. I'm trying to do that with Kid Venture. Is these are characters you care about, you like them. Um, they get on your nerves sometimes, or but you know they're relatable with real situations. There's um, when in, in the book when uh, they the, the kid chance prices the the service too high and they lose customers. Um, his sister gets mad at him, and he well first he goes through this whole process where he's like, well maybe I won't tell her. So, you know, so there's real people it has real impact. Um, um, business decisions have real impact. Um, and hopefully the lessons are memorable because of the way they're told as, as a story. That's one influence. Um, the other one, uh, back in the day, I used to love watching the TV show called The Prophet, uh, which I think was on CNBC, uh, Marcus Limonis. And so Marcus Limonis is this guy who uh, made a bunch of money when he founded Camping World that sells RVs. And so he has all this money. And so now as part of the TV show, entrepreneurs write to him. Um, and it's usually small, you know, family businesses that are, and these are businesses that are about to go under and fail and they kind of pitch to him. And so he picks uh, one of them and he goes to them and he spends a day learning about their business. And at the, at the, at the end of the day or the next day, he makes them an offer. And it's usually he'll write a check for X amount of dollars. Um, and the condition is uh, sometimes he takes 50% ownership, sometimes less, more, but the condition is he gets uh, 100% authority to make decisions, Ooh. right? And I, I love this show. I, I, it's been years since I watched it, but it was so engaging. Uh, and so what you, what you see with, especially because they're often family-owned businesses, right? Um, and so what, uh, what you see is number one, you know, if you sit down and watch five or six episodes in a row, you start to see there's, there's certain you know, basic business principles, which is kind of like what we were talking about, the four C's and you know, the objective facts 
uh, right? Um, and so he goes in and regard and he and he has every every episode. It'll be radically different businesses. One will be a gym. Another one will be you know they're selling hair care products. Another one's a car dealership. Another one's a, a restaurant with an all you can eat buffet line. You know, very very different businesses. But but there's some basic principles that if you watch the show five or six times, you're like, okay, I know what he's going to do next. Right. And he's always like, do you understand your cost? Do you know what, what, what it costs for you to whatever your relevant unit is? If you're a car dealership, what does it cost to sell a car? If you're a restaurant, someone going through your all you can eat buffet line, what is the average amount of food that they eat? And what does that cost you? You know, so one, number one, you got to know your costs. And then almost always he comes in and, and he has experts he brings in and almost always he invests invest in branding and packaging. Like it's worth spending some money to make your brand look more elevated, spend the money on the better packaging, you know, and then there's usually depending on the business, there's an inventory component and understand, you know, your inventory cycles and so on. And, and that's fine. That's kind of like the levels I was talking about. There's that first level of, of business, but then what makes it compelling TV is then there's always the uh, the high stakes family drama emotional factor, right? And and so there's um, th there's almost always some sort of emotional barrier that's keeping that entrepreneur, that family from that family business from growing, um, and and he is a master of identifying it. And uh, he is a master of finding your button and pushing it. And so there's always a blow up, almost always a blow up in the show because he finds that, that, you know, that point, that thing to needle at, you know? So in one episode, it's like the, the guy with a fancy, the luxury car dealership, I think in Chicago or something like that. And he has his name all over it. And he has this um, really cool showroom with the expensive leather couches and all this, you know, and, um, and, and Marcus Lamonis very quickly figures out, like, this is a big monument to this guy's own ego, and that's keeping him from actually running a successful business. So he signs the check, right? So he, he pays, you know, whatever amount of money, and then, but he gets 100% in control. The very next day, the guy's pulling into his car dealership, and Marcus Lamonis has hired a demolition group to tear down the name, his name that's on the car dealership and sell the expensive leather couches and so on. And so he does these things in the sort of most emotionally aggressive way possible, right? <laughs> Instead of having a nice conversation of, listen, I think you're too obsessed with promoting your name, your brand, instead of actually, you know, selling cars at a profit. Instead, he has the demolition crew timed exactly right. So when the guy's pulling in, he's demolishing this temple to this guy's own ego, um, or, you know, there's a lot of examples like that. There's one show where there's a gym owner and, um, the guy, I forget, he was some sort of famous athlete, I think a bodybuilder or something. So back in the day, so he's trading on his name and he has this gym, um, and so on. And then, um, Mark Slimonis figures out that the real, uh, gem in this business is the wife makes these energy bars for athletes and he sees a ton of potential there. Right. And so he takes the business and the gym owner is like, cool, he's going to invest in my gym. And Mark's most actually know what I'm really interested in is growing this line line of like all natural um, energy bars. And so he, again, that emotionally aggressive <laughs> move, he schedules a meeting so the wife can pitch her energy bars to some big like food distribution company. 
Um, but but the the bodybuilder gym owner is not invited to that meeting, right? Mm. Um, and so he just does this to break down those those kind of emotional walls. Um, and so uh, again, I, I always found those super interesting to watch. And to bring it back uh, with Kid Venture, that's that's another component I'm hopefully getting at in these stories is uh, that emotional intelligence that. Um, in the story, for example, um, the, the, it starts with the boy, Chan, starting this pool cleaning business. And then his sister kind of figures out, a, she wants to be a partner, but he doesn't want her to be. And then she figures out a way by like, you know, threatening to start, you know, be competition with him. Then he has to figure out, okay, it's better, we can't have two kids running around offering to clean pools. So he's got to figure out whether to take her on as a partner or not. And, and there's this whole chapter where he's weighing the pros and cons. And the big issue that's weighing on him is the sense of unfairness. Like, yeah, I just don't think it's fair. And so he has to learn to separate, okay, is it about fairness or are you going to make the decision that's best for your business, right? Um, so that's just one example, but um, I'd say the profit and the way it really brings to the forefront the interpersonal dynamics and emotional um, dimension to, to entrepreneurship and business has been a big influence. Yeah, that, wow, that's... That sounds like a good show. I hope it's on streaming services. I could go watch it. That yeah, sounds, yeah. That sounds like a great like show to show you like why certain things fail or how you can be in your own way. Here's like you said before, right? You can't, you have to have somebody who's a truth teller, someone who's comes in, who is not partial to you in any way and says, well, look, this is the biggest problem right here. Let's get rid of it. They're not worried about your feelings. They're not worried about you know, how dinner is going to be, is it going to be awkward or anything? They're just here to help you advance. So I think right. that that's very, like, very good, like something I want to watch. So I'm going to yeah. definitely look at it and see if it's on Netflix or Hulu or something, because oh, I cool. want to start watching that. And hopefully something you want to read, too. <laughs> yeah. And, and also right back to the book and right. get that kid venture book as well. Right, right. <laughs> so, Steve, where do you envision Kid, the Kid Venture franchise going forward. Where do you see Kid Venture as it relates to its impact on the market or its impact in general with the people? Where do you see yourself being uh, in the in the future, whether it's the next five years or two years or even ten, going along with this endeavor? Yeah. So one thing is uh, to keep writing books. Um, uh, I'm slower to publish them, but but for myself, I've had a goal of writing a book a year, mm. and uh, so far I'm three for three. We'll see what happens this year. <laughs> um, but to keep writing books, and so the idea with the books is you have the same core cast of characters that hopefully you you come to love as a reader. Um, and so you'll see some of the same characters in each book, but then each book is a new situation uh, that brings in new characters that, that they interact with. Um, so, for example, in the third book, the, the first book is they have the pool cleaning business and the second one, they have the snow shoveling business and the third one, totally different. Um, uh, they end up uh, starting a corn maze on a farm and, 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 and learn how to have a corn maze business. 
And so they have to interact with this farmer and this farmer's nephew, who's very headstrong and um, but he, he's a key piece of the puzzle. He, you know, you got to learn how to work with this guy. And there's all sorts of tension around that. And so that's the idea is uh, every book um, is a chance to introduce additional business concepts um, in a new scenario, new industry, new challenges, um, same characters you love, but some new ones. Also, as the books progress, the kids are getting older. Um, and so there's there's a dynamic there um, that's hopefully interesting. So that's that's kind of the creative goal. Um, and then uh, you know it, it's hard to both be writing and promoting <laughs> marketing the book. But I mean, what I would hope is that uh, you know parents out there who say, I, I, "How do I get my kid learning about business and economics and entrepreneurship?" That Oh yeah, hey, check out those kid venture books uh, for all the reasons we've been talking there. You know, hopefully kids, uh, parents will know, hey, check out these kid venture books. They're interesting, they're engaging, and your kids will learn a lot. Um, and so that just kind of becomes sort of the, the go-to books um, for uh, uh, kids, uh, let's say uh, 11, 12 years old, 13, 14, 15, you know, around there um, to learn about business. Right. So, so, you know, you want to become like a household name, right? Cause I remember like, you know, coming of age books would be like, or children, like books that will interest children would be like Nancy Drew, right? right? Things like that. So you want to essentially, or even like, let's think of like Harry Potter, right? In the first Harry Potter book, they're like 10 years old. And at the end of the Harry Potter books, they're like 18 or 19 years old, or even I think they're adults, right? At the end. Yeah, so yeah. it's like you showing the progression of these characters and people establish attachments to these characters and then they want to continue reading because they want to see what happens next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in my case, the reason the characters in the books are getting older is my kids are getting older. So, you know, I draw a lot of the inspiration just from, from conversations with my kids or they'll say something funny and I'll write it down like, oh, that'd be a cool little detail to work in. So as my kids get older, the, the characters are getting older. That's a great like way to have it full circle like it started as an idea based off a conversation with your children and the continued conversations create more ideas and as they're aging as well so it's like the, their journey goes along with the children's journey in the book so it's like you're writing a, a what, what would be called like a book as it's happening right right your life right. is inspiring the book in real time Right. And that, and, and, you know, just going back to something we we're talking about earlier, which is you've got to be driven by passion. Mm -hmm. um, you know, who knows what's going to happen with Kid Venture? Um, and maybe it won't sell a lot of books. And maybe at the end of the day, it'll be a break even proposition. Um, but, but I'd still write them. And the reason I'd, I'd write them is um, uh, the number one audience is my kids, right? And so it's like, hey, I want my kids to read these books. I'm trying to work in as their dad, some life lessons in here. I hope other people want to read the books, but even if they don't, it's still worth my time to write these uh, because, because they'll read them. Right. And I guess if it really doesn't work, we can hire the guy who's the prophet and he could come in and he can really whip you into shape. There you go. Right, right. <laughs> check and take 100% control. That'd be fine. <laughs> if if they do produce new episodes and I end up seeing you, Steve, I'm going to be so surprised. Like, I know I this love, guy. Talk to that guy, Marcus Limones. Like he, <laughs> I think he's brilliant how, how he uh, does things. <laughs> All right. So moving right along, you guys can follow me and hit me up on Instagram and Twitter at Rogers Neighborhood. 
Instagram is R-O-D-G-E-R-S-N-E-I-G-H-B-O-R-H-O-O-D. Twitter is the exact same, except there are no vowels in neighborhood on Twitter. And Steve, something I do every show is I answer questions from the listeners of the show. It's a great way to keep them involved. It's a great way to keep them engaged and keep them listening. And also, it's a great way to sort of break up the traditional interview of just me asking you a question and you answering it on a sort of serious level like NPR or something. So this is a good way to introduce a little fun element into the show. So what I would like to do with you is have you answer some of the questions from the listeners to get so they can get a better idea of what makes Steve Steve. What are some great, funny things that has happened to you in your life? All right. So my first question for you from the listeners is what is one of your wildest stories from childhood? What is one of the craziest things that's happened to you as a child? So there was there was a lot. Um, as as I <laughs> mentioned, my my dad is an entrepreneur, and so that's always uh, uh, every day was a little bit different and fun. Uh, but there's one one incident came to mind, which um, he had a variety of businesses over the years, and at one point, one of them was. Uh, he was a, a reseller and distributor of computers and computer hardware and printers and that sort of thing. This is way back in the day. Um, this was in Mexico um, before there was the free trade agreement and before Walmarts came into the picture and everything. So it was it was pretty specialized and pretty hard to find quality computers. So you had a company that that sold these. And um, I, I worked for him some after school and summer and sometimes just for fun. And so there was this one time that some, one customer had bought this fancy printer and it was a rush order. And this customer was in Veracruz in Mexico. So several states uh, away. And so we had to get that printer to uh, back in the day, the FedEx equivalent in Mexico was a company called Estafeta. And so we had to get the, the only way to ship, have this printer ship on time was to go to the main Estafeta headquarters um, so that it could be on a plane that night, you know, to, to Veracruz. And so, uh, and I had just gotten my driver's license and then my younger sister is with me. And so we get this big printer and put it in the car and we're driving and my dad doesn't have the exact address. I mean, this is before Google Maps, before wow. GPS, all that stuff. He doesn't have the exact address, but he's like, just go, go, go. And, and for some reason, we had these walkie-talkies that uh, it's a mystery to me how, but they worked. Like we would walkie-talkie as we're driving across Mexico City. Um, and he's giving these general, <laughs> super vague instructions from memory because <laughs> he'd been there once before. So he's like, you know, go down this road and... Um, the next, you know, there should be another road. It starts with a C. I forget what, you know, just and so like this constitution. I don't know. Try it, you know, turn there. And so we're, we don't have an address. We don't have a destination. We're going off of his vague memory of where it is. And he's giving us these directions and we're following them. And we're, you know, we got to get there by six o'clock and it's 530, 540, you know, we're not going to make it. And, um, and, and so finally I'm like, okay, so now what, you know, and he does, uh, he says, well, by now you should see an estafeta truck, you know, because you're close. And so just look for a estafeta truck and follow that truck to the headquarters. That Those were the directions. <laughs> um, and I just, I just love that story because that's actually what it was like growing up with my dad. That's why 
I'm so comfortable taking risks and like, yeah, hey, you can do this. Just go, you know, figure it out as we go. What's the destination? What's the address? I don't know. Just get in the general vicinity and then look for an estafeta truck and follow it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a bit of a bit of a motto uh, for me. <laughs> You're right. That's your that's your slogan. Yeah, when when in doubt, just look for the estafeta truck. Right, right, right. <laughs> Well, that's a great story. You were really on an adventure. You were sort of uh, having a kid venture before you even started writing your book. That's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Definitely influenced by, by my childhood. The books are. All right. Well, that's a great story. So my next question for you, Steve, from the listeners is, what is something that you like to do the old fashioned way? So this, this one uh, <clears throat> may, may be... A bit shocking, but we gave up uh, television uh, a few years ago wow. as a family. Um, and so our kids, uh, we, we do not watch TV and they do not play video games. Wow. Um, which makes us, you know, freaks <laughs> in this day and age. <laughs> but uh, it, it's, it's been great. Um, and, uh, you know, my wife and I have noticed, like when our kids are hanging out with other kids, you can kind of tell which are the kids that watch TV or watch a lot of TV and play video games and which are the ones that aren't. And the ones who aren't growing up on just this constant diet of TV and video games, they're more naturally curious, you know, and they'll, they'll be in a park and they'll, Hey, what's that on the ground over there? Like, what is that? That is, is that a rock? Is that, you know, they're, they're just more inquisitive and engaged with the world and, and so on. Um, whereas, you know, unfortunately, sometimes the kids who just grew up watching a lot of TV and video games, they'll, they'll be in that same park and just bored, you know, and almost, uh, uh, you know, almost like itching to get back to to their media. So that was uh, it was a big leap. Um, frankly, it was hardest on me <laughs> than anyone else. I liked watching TV. I grew up watching TV. I mean, I really grew up watching a lot of TV. And uh, TV was uh, every night, you know, it's the way to relax. I'd still work. I'd do work on my laptop, but I'd always have the TV on in the background. Um, you know, the first couple of weeks, the kids were like, what's where's the TV? Can we watch TV? But after a while, they were fine as me. I've had to be the one that, you know, I think I'm going to go watch some YouTube on my laptop every once in a while. <laughs> but, uh, but it's been great. I, I highly recommend it. <laughs> mm. And how long would you say that it took the entire family to adjust to this new, no media in the home uh, world that you established for them? Well, for, fortunately, we did it when our kids were still fairly young. Mm -hmm. um, so, so for most of them, they were still at a very kind of moldable, impressionable age. Um, and it coincided with us moving and uh, we moved um, out, out to the country uh, living up in the mountains. Um, and so that helped, you know, for a huge, you know, Hey, would you rather watch TV or like, go, go, go play in the woods, you know, yeah. go, go explore the world. So, um, not, I, I don't want to make it sound overly easy or, or anything <laughs> like that, but, but it is very rewarding. I do recommend it. Wow. That is a real, that's a real, like a big change. Like, you know, of course, with this technology, this technology centric world, like there's streaming and there's all there's a million channels if you still have cable. Like, so that's a big leap. Like, that's a real big. Yeah. What's what's interesting is if you look at 
some of the the big wigs, you know, in Silicon Valley, uh, the the big tech executives, a lot of them restrict their kids from their device time, you know, and uh, you know they make a living selling digital um, distraction. Right. They know the power, right? And they're like, okay, not for my kids, you know. I'm going to be very careful uh, with with my kids. So um, yeah, I think it's just just something to uh, to be mindful of. That's a very interesting approach to to that because I understand how much they could learn by not being distracted by television and video games. But at the same time, they are kids, you know, and kids yeah. like you know flashing lights and all the things well, that are on television. Yeah, and I mean, and we and we don't want them to be um, you know completely ignorant of technology. So uh, at the same time, um, my kids are learning coding. Um, and so right. when they do have video games, it's, they're very simple because they're coding, like make the ball bounce this way and, and mm-hmm. so on. So hopefully it, 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 it scratches that same itch, except, you know, okay, if you want to spend time on quote unquote video games um, do it. Cause you're writing the, the lines of code to, and again, they're very simple, you know, they're, they're still beginners, but that's that's my hope. Um, maybe they'll grow up and be like, and be like professional TV critics or something. Because <laughs> they're like, I was, I was so deprived <laughs> as a child. <laughs> that would be really funny. <laughs> All right, and Steve, my last question for you from the listeners is: What is a current trend that you just don't? understand well obviously it'll be like smart tvs you know with all the streaming apps built in so we don't have to answer that one but what is a current trend that you just don't understand well somewhat similar uh i I can be the grumpy old man the 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 luddite um nfts i don't i don't get it i don't i don't see the value um it's uh I mean I understand that we're you're always looking for unique stores of value. I just don't buy it. I don't think they're gonna hold their value. Yeah. And uh, you know, that someone I saw someone uh, ask the question on Twitter the other day, which is if you had half a million dollars, would you buy a home or an NFT? Right. right. When you put it that way, I think it's hopefully, <laughs> I think it's pretty obvious. Um, but uh, I also remember one time I was in uh, Santo Domingo in, in the Dominican Republic, uh, in the old part of town. Um, and, and the tour guide made a comment, like there was this, this hacienda type type house, and there was these big trees, you know, with, with really gorgeous trees, the kind of trees that take hundreds of years to grow, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and she made the comment, you know, that's real wealth. Is, is trees like old trees like you can't that's the so-called old money new money like you can't fake trees that take hundreds of years to grow you know um and they're beautiful and they provide shade and you know if it's apple trees it provides apples or i don't know that's just so tangible um uh that uh, that or some digital representation. I mean, I understand art. I would I would pay to have a, a, a piece of art by by an artist, um, but I am not convinced that w- that the digital representation, that pixels, are going to be be worth that. So, I'm right with you because the 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 thing is like when they are explaining it, it sounds so revolutionary, so futuristic, right? 
you can have this item that's a digital piece of art and you have the certificate of authenticity and it was on a blockchain and all of this and all of that. And then at the end, someone, I think it was like a young person, like a teenager, just said it like bluntly. It was their truth teller. Well, what if someone just screenshots this? What if someone just has their phone and they screenshot it? Don't they have it too now? Like, and then their bubble was burst. Like, I guess they didn't have the correct answer for that. And like how it would be different than a screenshot. But that is like all that in my head. It's like, okay, I understand this intricate network of a digital piece of art, a non-fungible token. But what if, you know, piracy is everywhere. You know, we had the whole piracy in music and we have piracy with movies and all these things. Well, what if someone just finds out a way to pirate your NFT? Doesn't that take away the value of it? Right. And right then it was just like, I know that this is not for me right now. I do not need to be involved with NFTs. I need right. to still stay in the real world because right. I can't NFT this podcast yet. So <laughs> we're staying, we're, we're off the NFT. I'm not interested in it at all. I'm right with you, Steve. There you go. Well, maybe my other kid will grow up to be an NFT broker. <laughs> <laughs> right. They'll just start doing things that you don't have interest in, right? <laughs> like, dad just doesn't get it. He doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Such a dinosaur. He doesn't get right. it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm definitely not interested in NFTs. If anybody knows about NFTs and can explain it to me on a third grade level, uh, please, my DMs are open. You can feel free to send me a message. But as it stands right now, I'm good on that. Right. Right. <laughs> All right. And Steve, my last question for you today is what is one thing that you would like to leave the listeners with as a great piece of advice, a life jewel, or just something very important that you would like to express to them before we get you out of here? It's a great way just to tie a little bow on this Christmas present of a podcast that we've had today. I guess to end on a, on a positive, uh, ins inspirational note, um, you know, it's, it's very, uh, simple to say, but you know, you can do it. You can, um, you can be an entrepreneur, um, and, um, going back to what we talked about earlier, you know, don't be discouraged. Don't be surprised if, if, uh, your original concept isn't working the way you thought it would. Uh, you are most certainly not alone. That is true for every entrepreneur I know. Um, and uh, what the, 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 the real barrier is not the brilliant idea. I mean, there are, of course, there are people who have brilliant ideas and so on. But for most of us, it's not about, aha, I had this one idea. And if this one idea doesn't work, then I can't, you know, no, it's, it's again, it's, it's about the, the resilience and, and um, learning from failures. And, 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 you know, the, the positive way of saying that is, Hey, anyone can do this. Just, just get, get out there. Um, it, being an entrepreneur is a weird mix of kind of arrogance of like, yeah, I can do this. And, and deep humility, like, wow, that didn't work, <laughs> you know, and knowing when to crank up the arrogance uh, volume indicator and when to crank up the humility one, you know, is, is a skill you kind of learn along the way, but I'd say, go for it. You, you can do it. Um, just kind of tying some of these threads together, you know, knowing about business and entrepreneurship is important life skill. I kind of think everyone should at some point be an entrepreneur, um, you can be the doctor, but you're also an entrepreneur because you've got a medical practice or you can be the podcaster. You're hey, you're an entrepreneur. You got to promote your podcast, get, 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 uh, put your, build a brand and build a following and an audience and so on. Um, and so these are important things. Um, 
I encourage everyone to do it. Um, that's one of the goals for the book is to inspire kids, um, whether it's the proverbial lemonade stand, like you said, or something else, just go out and hustle. Um, and I think, you know, tying one more thread, the NFTs and all that, um, just kind of where technology is headed and so on. You know, we are headed for a, as they say, a brave new world, the, the future with more automation, more artificial intelligence, more a lot of the jobs that we take for granted are going to go away. I think it'll be more important than ever to be entrepreneurial. Um, uh, I'm not saying anything new here, but the expectation that you can just always find a job and there's going to be something there. I think more and more, we have to invent our own futures and livelihoods. And that, that can be a scary proposition, but I think it's also a, a very inspiring and beautiful proposition. You know, the, the thing I like most about being an entrepreneur is the independence it gives me. Um, and in my case, at this stage in life, it means I get to spend more time with my kids. Um, I used to have a, an office in a, a fancy building downtown and so on. I work from home now and it's wonderful. Um, my, my kids can walk in, interrupt me <laughs> at any time and that's, that's, that's priceless. And so just, um, the more you entrepreneurial, you are, I think the more control you have over your, your time, your life, um, your destiny, your relationships, you know, the stuff that really matters. So I would just think that would be my closing thought to encourage everyone to, to, to cultivate that entrepreneurial spirit. And that is a great way to close. Again, Professor Steve, I'm learning so much from you today. I really have. I Thank really you. appreciate you coming on and telling us your story and how you got started and telling us what you want the books to be and really breaking it down to where the value is in it and all these great things that you shared today. I really appreciate you coming on the show. And there's nothing left for me to do for you, but roll out the red carpet for you again. I would love for you to reiterate your name and all of the places that the people can find you. Well, before I do, I just want to say thank you. Uh, you've been a great host. Very gracious. Thank uh, you. It's been a lot of fun. Really appreciate you having me on. And uh, my name again is Steve Sierfoss. Uh, the books are called uh, Kid Venture. And you can find them on Amazon. You can also go to my website, kidventurebook.com. Uh, also available on Barnes & Noble. You can find my author profile on Goodreads. And I'm on social media with Kid Venture Book. All right. All right. And Steve, lastly, it is tradition on the Bronx Buys podcast that we allow our guest to choose a song that we end our podcast with. So, Professor Steve, the honor is yours. What song would you love to play for the good people out there? Let's go with Stronger by Kanye. All right, Steve, thank you so much once again for coming on. I really appreciate all the great information. I'm going to definitely check out some of those shows and read some of those books. And I really appreciate you coming on and having this conversation with me. Awesome. And I love, I love the message of resilience with a song. So that's a, it's a great send off. Thank you. All right. Round of applause for my guy, Steve Searfoss. Round of applause. And that, guys, will wrap it up. Episode number 93 of the Bronx Bias Podcast is in the books. 
I'm your host once again. My name is Denzel. I want to say a special, special thank you to my guest for today, Steve Searfoss, author of the Kid Venture book series. I really appreciated our conversation today. I want to say thank you to everyone who tunes in, who likes, who subscribes, who shares, and who supports. I want to say thank you to everyone who's active and engaging with me on the social media platforms. I truly, truly appreciate all the love and support I receive from y'all. Please do not forget your boy Denzel has official Bronx Bias podcast merchandise available for purchase in addition to the brand new Bronx Bias blog. And if you are a writer, author, or creator of any kind and you want to have some work featured on the site, feel free to hit me up and send me a message and we can work together to get your work published on the blog. The more people featuring themselves on the blog, the better. And I love to have this open platform where everyone could come together and collaborate um, in this fashion. So check it out. My website for all those aforementioned things is bronxbiaspod.com. And we're going to fade you guys out with a great, great, great song today, which is my guy Steve Sirfoss's choice. And it is called Stronger by Kanye West off of the album Graduation. And this has been the Bronx Bias Podcast, episode 93. Have a great week. Have a great weekend out there. Be safe. And I'll speak to you guys next week. And we are out. That don't kill me. Can only make us stronger. I need you to hurry up now. Cause I can't wait much longer. I know I got to be right now. Cause I can't get much stronger. Man, I've been waiting all night now. That's how long I've been on ya. Let's get lost tonight You could be my black Kate Moss tonight Play secretary on the ball tonight And you don't give a fuck what they all say, right? Awesome, the Christian and Christian Dior Damn, they don't make them like this anymore I ask, cause I'm not sure Do anybody make real shit anymore? Bow in the presence of greatness Cause right now, that has forsaken us You should be honored by my lateness That I would even show up to this fake shit So go ahead, go nuts, go ace shit Jesse in my past Stale on my basic Act like you can't tell who made this New gospel, homie, take six And take this, haters That, 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 that don't kill me Can only make me stronger I need you to hurry up now Cause I can't wait much longer I know I got to be right now Cause I can't get much stronger Man, I've been waiting all night now That's how long I've been on ya Me like right now. I don't know if you get a man or not If you make plans or not If God put me in your plans or not I'm tripping this drink, got me saying a lot But I know that God put you in front of me So how the hell could you front on me? It's a thousand users, only one of me I'm tripping, I'm 
caught up in the moment, right? Cause it's Louis Vuitton dying night. So we gon' do everything the kind like. Heard they do anything for a Klondike. Well, I'll do anything for a Blondike. And she'll do anything for the limelight. And we'll do anything when the time's right. Uh, baby, you're making it. How long I've been on ya How long I've been on ya Yeah.